And as always, I want to thank Aaron for getting our class on SoundCloud. And so if you, and by the way, you can go back and look on SoundCloud and find the older lessons there too, if you ever want to go back and find a lesson there in the past. You know, sometimes God pays off when you memorize Scripture. I heard the story about a lady who uh, had memorized some Scripture. And in fact, this uh, elderly woman had went to uh, church and she thought she would incorporate the Word of God into her life. And so the lesson that day was Acts chapter 2, verse 38, which says, Repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord so that your sins may be forgiven. Acts 2.38 Well, she got home that night and there was a robber in her house. And so she heard him there robbing her house and she said, okay, Lord, I'm going to practice what I've heard today. I'm going to call out the Word of God. And so she just started screaming, Acts 2.38, Acts 2.38, Acts 2.38. And the robber stopped dead in his tracks and dropped his gun. She called the police. The police came and asked the robber, why in the world did you stop after that woman yelled. And the robber said, well, she said that she had an axe and two thirty-eights. <laughs> so it pays off to hear the Word of God. It does. Acts 2.38. Oh, goodness, goodness. You know, the Apostle Paul had Rome on his mind and as Paul was getting ready I thought about the lady who married four different times and she married four times and, and uh, married an eclectic group I learned that word from our daughter in Asheville eclectic <laughs> but anyway she married four times and, uh, and kind of interesting about the four husbands uh, when she was 20, a young woman, she married a banker. And then after that, she married a circus performer. And then after that, she married uh, a preacher. And then after that, the fourth husband, she married a funeral director. And someone asked her, those are four very different kinds of professions. The interviewer asked, why did you marry those four? And she said, well, one for the money, two for the show, three to get ready, and four to go. <laughs> so, anyway. Paul was ready. He was ready to go to Rome and had Rome on his mind. Now, if you were here last Sunday, you know, I preached from Romans 12, 1 and 2 and had done so much commentary work and background there in the book of Romans. So, uh, plus, Jim over here talked about the book of Romans and so uh, I'm going to dive into Romans and uh, we'll spend 
a lot of time in this wonderful book. 16 chapters, but a great book there in the Bible. Uh, Romans chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7 as we begin today. Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. According to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for His name's sake, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now Paul begins there this wonderful book called Romans. Now let me give you a little background again if you were here last week. Uh, some of this may be repetition, but let me give you a little background to the book of Romans. Uh, the author is Paul. Right there in verse number 1, he begins, Paul, and so states his name right there. Back in those days, you would begin a letter with your name. Sometimes we write a letter and we'll put the person we're writing to, but back then you would begin with your name at the beginning. And the reason why is if you got a big old scroll, you open up that scroll and you can see who wrote the letter. That way you can toss it away or read it depending on the person, alright? But it says, Paul. Now, the word Paul means small or little. It means little man. How different that would be from his former name before he got saved. He was Saul, named after the mighty king of Israel. So, the mighty name of Saul faded away as he became Paul the Apostle. And Paul would one time say in Philippians, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So the author is Paul. Well, then we find the date around A.D. 57. Paul wrote this book on his third missionary journey. He is in Corinth when he wrote the book of Romans. Can you imagine writing such a majestic, bold, magnificent letter dealing with the Corinthians? I mean, they had all kinds of stuff going on in Corinth, but yet Paul has time to write maybe the greatest words about salvation. And so, there in Corinth, writing the book. Paul writes it probably with the help of a secretary, and then he hands the letter off to a woman named Phoebe. And you find in Romans chapter 16, verse 1 and following, Phoebe's mentioned. She is a servant in the church. Now she is a diaconia there in the church, a servant. 
And so she was entrusted with this book of the Bible. Thank God she got into Rome because you and I are the benefactors of her faithfulness. And I believe there's a word there for all of us. When we are entrusted with the Word of God, we need to be faithful to deliver it. We never know the outcome that God's going to accomplish when we are faithful in handling the Word of God. Can you imagine the Christian faith without the book of Romans? No Roman road to salvation. No Romans chapter 8. How many times have you read Romans 8.28 when you need a good word from God? And so she was faithful to get that book there to Rome. And then we find in chapter 1 verse 7, Paul's description here in verse 7 uh, to the Roman church. And by the way, that Roman church was not in a church building. You know that. They met in houses. Probably they were scattered throughout the city of Rome. Rome was such a big city, there were probably house churches meeting everywhere across that city. But in verse number 7, Paul says you are beloved of God. He said you've been called to be saints. And I'm going to give you grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the key verse to the book of Romans is in Romans chapter 1, verse 17. The Bible says there in Romans 1, 17, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. One translation says the just shall live by faith. That was the battle cry of the Reformation. The just shall live by faith. Quoting the book of Habakkuk. By the way, there in verse 17, there's a great phrase there. It says that we live the Christian life from faith to faith. You see that? The righteousness, the rightness of God is revealed when you and I walk from faith to faith to faith. It is never by works. Man, you keep it the way you got it. It is all by faith. And so we walk by faith, not by sight. You and I can read and enjoy the letter that brought about the Protestant Reformation. Again, chapter 1, verse 17, the battle cry of that great Reformation. So today as we begin, we're going to look at three different things in this beginning section of Romans. And we'll kind of look at chapter 1, 1 through 17. By the way, uh, Paul has three wonderful statements, I am statements here in chapter 1. This is just food for thought. In chapter 1, verse 14, Paul says, I am am in debt. We'll talk about that a little bit more. My translation says, I am under obligation. Paul saw himself as a debtor. He owed a debt to others in sharing the Gospel. 
I want you to know there's a lost world out there that we owe something to. We owe them the wonderful story of salvation. I am under obligation. Then in verse number 15, I am eager. Paul said, I am eager, I am anxious to preach there in Rome. And then verse 16, the third I am. I am not ashamed. Not ashamed of the Gospel. So, here we go. Let's begin. Alright, first of all, Paul presented his credentials as an apostle. Paul begins in verses 1-7 through and he's telling the church of Rome, here are my credentials. Paul, who was converted from being Saul. You know the story on the Damascus Road. Saul going to persecute the church. And yet on that Damascus Road, that persecutor saw a bright light. He saw the resurrected Christ. And the persecutor became a preacher of the Gospel. The mercenary became the great missionary. And God changed everything about him. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, said, if Paul just got a sunstroke, he said, I pray to God everybody gets a sunstroke. It wasn't a sunstroke, it was the glorified, brilliant, resurrected Jesus that he saw. Man, he saw the Shekinah glory. The sky was on fire with the glory of God. Mm. Now, that preacher now talks to the people of Rome. He says he is a servant. Now look at that here in verse, verse number 1. Paul, a bond servant. Paul says, I am a servant. Bond servant of the Word. Another word we could use, Paul would say, I am a slave. I am a slave. Romans understood that term, slave. There were 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. Paul said, I'm like one of those slaves. Well, he goes on and says in verse number 1, called as an apostle. Called as an apostle. Why would Paul say that? Well, he says it up front because an apostle had to have seen the resurrected Jesus. And so there was always some people that cast doubts on Paul's apostleship because he was saved after the resurrection. But Jesus made a special appearance to Paul as a resurrected Christ. The word apostle there means one that's sent. One that's sent on a mission. You and I might use the word ambassador. Paul was an ambassador for Christ. He represented somebody else, the Lord Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 is a wonderful verse that talks about you not being an ambassador. If you got your Bible, look at that real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 20. 2 Corinthians 5, 20. Barry Stalker, you got that? Go ahead. 
Christ's ambassadors as though Christ were making his appeal through us. Yeah, what, what a great verse. The word ambassador, close to the word apostle. It means one sent, one that represents somebody else. One thing you and I need to always remember, somebody is always watching you. There's always a camera. I was walking through the church office not too long ago, and it was early in the morning. And I'm walking through the office and coming back through, and I got scared because I looked there at the monitor, and I said, man, that's one ugly looking dude there on the monitor. And then I figured out it was me. <laughs> I said, oh no, it's just me. All kinds of cameras and monitors around. But somebody is watching your life. A lost world may not read the book of Romans, but they're going to read Harold, or they're going to read Richard, or they're going to read Ken. They're going to read your life. And they're going to see if the testimony lines up. Well, Paul was a preacher of the Gospel. Look back in verse number 1. He set apart for the Gospel of God. One of the most beautiful words in Greek is this word Gospel. It's the good news. It's the marvelous news that a lost, dead sinner, one that's hell-bound, can be turned around and become heaven-bound. Man, God can change someone from the old life to the new life. He can change your language. He can change your lifestyle. God can change you for His glory. He is a preacher of the good news of salvation. And then, He's a missionary. I want you to look at uh, verse number 5. Verse 5. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship, to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for His name's sake. Paul was the great missionary to the Gentiles. The Gentiles. You may work at First Citizens Bank, but you're really God's missionary there. Uh, you may work at State Farm Insurance, but you're really God's missionary there. Wherever you are, God has placed you there to be His missionary. Paul's missionary was to the Gentiles. Peter was the great missionary to the Jews. But God had a special mission field for Paul. And God has a special mission field for all of us. Listen, God has surrounded you with people. God has surrounded you with lost people that you need to share the Gospel with. When they see your life, when they see your lifestyle and your witness, that's a tremendous way to share the Gospel. We all have that mission field. So, Paul is qualified. He lays out his credentials here. Can you imagine going to a doctor and not looking on the wall and seeing his credentials? I don't know about you, that always makes me feel better. <laughs> now you're in the doctor's office, they've always got their diplomas hanging. I, I, I'm glad about it. I, I mean, I'm, I'm blessed by that because I'm going to look up there and see, okay, he's got the credentials or she's got the credentials. That's what Paul's doing here. He's hanging his diplomas. He says, here is my credentials. 
I'm a servant. I'm an apostle. I'm a preacher. And I'm a missionary. Alright, let's move on. Number two. Paul expresses his concern. And that goes on here in verses 8 through 15. So let's read 8 through 15 in chapter 1. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit, in the preaching of the gospel of His Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers making requests, if perhaps now at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you, while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far, so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation to both the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So Paul shows his concern there. Why would Paul have this aching to preach in Rome? Well, the reason why is because that is the seat of the empire. You know the old saying, all roads lead to Rome. Paul knew that. It was the seat of the empire. Now, it's one thing to say I'm concerned. Something else to show it. You know you hear people say that all the time. <laughs> oh, I'm concerned about you. Well, my old friend you say talk is cheap. How do you show that concern? Well, Paul does it in several ways. Number one, he was thankful for them. Verse number eight. First, I thank my God. Paul is thankful for those in Rome. Also, he prayed for them. Verses 9 and 10. Uh, you find this wonderful statement of prayer. Verse number 10. Always in my prayers making requests. You know, it, it'll be one day in heaven when you'll realize all the people who have been faithful to pray for you. You'll never know until you get to glory one day who prayed for you, who made a difference in your life. I, uh, I've been blessed by folks that, that pray for me. I want to tell you, on any given day, my teaching, my preaching, my service is better because somebody prayed for me. And I know that's true. People are praying for us. Now, Paul also shows his concern in love. Verse number 11. Verse 11. The Bible says, For I long to see you. In the Message Bible, in verse 11, 
It says, I long to see you waiting for me. This waiting goes on. The deeper it goes on, the more I ache. A-C-H-E. Paul had a achy, breaky heart. I mean, he, he wanted to get there to Rome. His heart was aching to be with them. How many times do you come to church in a week? Once? Twice? You know, if you're blessed like I am, you get to come every day just about. We get off on Saturday, that's about it. But I thought to myself, God, do we have an ache in our heart after a few days of not being with the people of God? There ought to be something inside of us that we have a longing to see one another. We have a longing. You know, someone said every Sunday is like a family reunion. It's the church getting back together. It's the body of Christ. It's the family of God. We, we have a reunion every Sunday. And we get to see people. We get to fellowship. That's why Paul was saying, I ache down deep in my heart to be back with you. But then Paul shows his concern in verse number 14. He uses his phrase, he is under obligation. A better translation might be, he is a spiritual debtor. He is in debt to them. You know, it's one thing to be in debt and to owe money. I don't like to be in debt. I like to pay my bills and get those things taken care of. When I get a bill, I like to pay it on day one. I don't like to be in debt. But Paul says, I am under obligation. I owe you a debt. Let me tell you something that happens tomorrow morning. A trial takes place. And um, somebody's on trial. And um, they're going to call a Josh, or they're going to call a Lynn, or they're going to call a Sammy, and they're going to call a Richard, they're going to call us to the witness stand. And that will happen tomorrow morning. And they're going to say, Richard, will you give your testimony before this lost and dying world as to who Jesus is? I want you to know every single day that happens. And God calls us to the witness stand. And before, you know, God's given the right of a lost world. Now hear me on this. God's given the right of a lost world to judge our faith. And you and I are called to give a testimony. We are under obligation. We are called to give a witness we are called to say, this is what Jesus has done in my life. He saved me. He brought me joy. He brought me peace. He brought me forgiveness. God has saved me through Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. I'm under obligation. We have to give that testimony. Well, he was also eager to visit. Uh, verse number 15. So for my part, I am eager to preach the Gospel to you also who are in Rome. Have you ever been to someone's house and you were eager to go back? Oh, there, there are people I visit and I, I was always eager to go back. 
I had an aunt and an uncle, uh, both in heaven now, but I had an Uncle Elmer and Aunt Irene. And I love going to Uncle Elmer and Aunt Irene's house. She always had the best coffee. Best coffee. Yeah. Yeah, she knew how to drink it too. <laughs> She'd pour it in a saucer and blow on and sip that coffee out of the saucer. She had the best breakfast. Oh man, she cooked breakfast. You get up, boy, you can smell that bacon cooking. Mmm. She got some eggs that she got from a neighbor that had fresh eggs out there. Those eggs weren't, weren't white. They were those brown colored, you know, eggs. The best eggs. Love going to Aunt Reen and Uncle Elmer's. I was always eager to go back. Paul says, I hadn't been there yet. But I know I'm going to be eager and anxious to get there. By the way, Paul didn't found the church at Rome. Neither did Peter, by the way. But even though Paul did not found this church, he was anxious to get there. It's one of the few times that Paul visited a church that he did not found, but he was anxious to get there. Well, he says also in that verse that he's eager because he's going to get to preach. He's going to get to preach to them. Well, Paul showed his concern. And you and I need to show our concern for a lost world. Uh, let's move on. Alright, third and last today. Third and last. Paul also affirmed his confidence. And that's verses 16 and 17. Verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Let me pause there in verse 16 and ask you, why would He say to the Jew first? Because they are God's chosen people. Still are. God still has a special heart for Israel. God's desire is for Israel to wake up from their blindness and see that Jesus is the Messiah. And so, to the Jew first, but thank God also for the Greek. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world, Jew and Gentile. Aren't you glad that Jesus identifies with you and I? Let me go back in the Gospel and show you a picture. Let me paint this for you. John the Baptist is down the Jordan River baptizing. People are coming from everywhere to be baptized. John's down there. John is a wild man. He eats locusts. He eats bugs. He dips them in honey so he can eat them, I guess, but wild locusts and honey. He's a wild man. Beard, hair, I mean, he is a wild, I mean, he'd be a wild hellfire and brimstone preaching Baptist. He is a wild man out there baptizing. He's yelling and screaming, repent, repent. John's out there baptizing. There's a line of people waiting to be baptized. And on this particular day, 
somebody's in line. Perhaps he's in line between a prostitute in front of him, tax collector maybe behind him, but he's in line. His turn comes. And John looks up and says, Behold the Lamb of God. And it's Jesus. It's cousin Jesus, alright? John baptizes Jesus, but if I could have been a fly on the wall, so to speak, I'd have liked to have heard the conversation of Jesus when He stood in line to be baptized. As He stood there in the middle of sinful humanity. Man, let me tell you, I don't have the words to describe to you how grateful I am that Jesus stood for me and stood up for me on an old wooden rugged cross. Mm. What a picture of grace. Picture of grace. Well, if I could kind of go through 16 17, I would tell you the origin of the Gospel, verse 16. It's the Gospel of God. The operation of that Gospel, verse 16, it's the power of God. That word for power in verse 16 is the word dynamite. It's a dynamite explosive power. Then also we find there in verse 16, the outcome. The outcome of the Gospel is that people might be saved. Everyone who believes. And then, in verse 17, you find the end result. The outreach of this Gospel. That you and I might be the righteousness of God. No one ever becomes right with God unless they've had an experience of faith. You and I know very well that if you ask a lost world, they're going to say, I hope I'm good enough. I hope my deeds will outweigh the bad stuff. Listen, God ain't going to have a scale up there. God's going to have a book of life. And let me tell you this, by the way. I would like to think that Jesus makes His way over to that book of life during the day. And I would like to think that He looks at my name and takes His finger and traces my name there in the book of life. I would like to think that He is eager and anxious to see me face to face as I am eager and anxious to see my Lord face to face. What a picture of grace and forgiveness. Warren Wearsby, the great commentator, said, God does not ask men to behave in order to be saved, but to believe. Great preacher Charles Spurgeon had a godly mother who prayed for him. Charles Spurgeon's mother prayed for him. And this is the prayer that she prayed so often. Oh, that my son might live before Thee 
Oh, that my son will live before thee. And then she would say, My son must live before thee. I beg it of you. Paul had that kind of concern for the people of Rome. What a challenge for you and I that we have that kind of concern for the people that God has placed around us. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for Your Word today. We look forward, God, to this wonderful study in Romans. Lord, may we be eager to share our faith with others. God, I pray that we would not be ashamed of the testimony that we have. Remind us, God, tomorrow morning, remind us today, we are in spiritual debt to those around us. God, may we be faithful. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all have a great day.